Ladies and gentlemen, I wanted to introduce a new sponsor to the podcast. Hillsdale College has been a longtime sponsor of the broadcast. And for the new year, they've graciously agreed to exclusively sponsor the first hour or segment of the podcast. I believe deeply in the principles and mission of Hillsdale College, which I share with you during the upcoming segment. My thanks and appreciation to Hillsdale College for their long partnership with the show. And now, the podcast. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Relax. We're going to go through this issue. Many issues, but in particular tonight, the National Emergencies Act. We now have some Republicans who are buckling, like French Vichy Republicans. Always the case, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski. Looks like this clown, Tillis from North Carolina, who has an F rating from Conservative Review. And there are others. And they like to stand on their high horse and say that they are defending the Constitution, that they are defending separation of powers, and we don't have a king. And they have no idea what the hell they're talking about. And I will demonstrate that again soon. But first, I want you to hear what they have to say. They're Schumer. Just bear with me. We've got to lay the foundation, as we say. Murkowski, Scarborough, who's about as dense as they come. So we have somebody in the Democrat Party, somebody in the Republican Party, and somebody who has a party going on in his pants. Anyway, let's listen to this. Don't get frustrated. I'll take care of it like nobody else can. Schumer on the Senate floor today. Go. But at the top of the list is this. It's the founding fathers looking down upon this chamber and upon these United States of America. They set up an exquisite balance of power. They realized, were worried about an overreaching executive. They knew what King George was all about. And so they gave the Congress, they named the Congress, the House and Senate, the Article 1, Article 1, not 2, 3, or 4, part of the government. And second, they gave the Congress one of the greatest powers any government has, which is the power of the purse. When the president tries to take these powers away, which clearly he's doing in this case, he called for an emergency when he couldn't get his way in Congress, not because some new facts came on the scene. It is a change in the fundamental, necessary, and often exquisite balance of power. Mm-hmm. Don't worry. I'm I'm, chomp, I'm chomping at the bit, but I have to grind my teeth while I listen to this. Then Murkowski, a Republican, putative Republican on Capitol Hill from Alaska, she's confronted in the hallway by a reporter. Cut three, go. Do you support um, terminating that, this resolution to terminate the emergency declaration? Yes, I will be. Why? Based, based on everything that I have, have seen that we will be receiving, yes, the answer. I have been concerned whenever any president, Republican or Democrat, beyond what I think most would consider to be their authorities. Hmm. 
Then we have the morning schmo and the Mrs. Schmo. Cut five, go. Republican Senator Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, who has expressed concerns about the president's emergency order, says she is also likely to support the resolution to block it. And, you know, Willie, this is I mean, this is such a clear violation, a constitutional violation of Article one powers and the power of the checkbook, the power mm-hmm. of the purse is given to Congress. Uh, and it, it, it breaches that uh, it undermines the legislative branches constitutional constitutional powers, and it paves the way to a more imperial, even more imperial presidency. Plus, it makes these Republicans who are going crazy over, you know, President Obama's executive orders uh, look like raging hypocrites when they stand by on an even more extreme measure. And I heard this Congressman Mike Simpson from Idaho say the same thing. And other so-called originalists and leftists and everybody saying this. Let's unravel some of this. Have any of these individuals you just heard, any of them, claim that the administrative state is unconstitutional? Have any of them? (coughs) That is, all the departments and agencies that write laws. Isn't Congress supposed to write laws and legislate under Article 1? Well, then how can the EPA write laws and the Agriculture Department and the Education Department? How can all these departments write laws, they like to call them regulations and rules, but they have the same impact. You can go to prison if you violate a regulation or rule that is issued by a department, by a bureaucracy. And so they've conferred this massive power on this federal leviathan, this massive bureaucracy, to legislate. And then they sit there and they pretend that they're for separation of powers. They're not for separation of powers. I can't think of one conservative in the Senate or one conservative in the House who has proposed eliminating a single department or agency based on the Constitution's separation of powers. I can't think of one. Can you? I can't think of one anymore who argues that these departments and agencies are unconstitutional. Can you? The Supreme Court itself has ruled that it's constitutional, unfortunately. You and I, we, we are ruled by a massive bureaucracy that passes laws every single day and sits in the executive branch under Article 2, Mr. Schumer. Tell me, Mr. Schumer, Obamacare that is managed out of the Department of Health and Human Services, and they've issued hundreds and hundreds of regulations. Is that unconstitutional, Mr. Schumer, Mr. Article 1? Of course they're not going to say it is. So that's the first point. They do not believe in separation of powers. It is they who are the hypocrites. Mr. Simpson, Mr. Tillis, Ms. Murkowski, and all the rest of them. Number two, how many of these people propose repealing DACA? How many of them propose repealing DACA? DACA was clearly unconstitutional in violation of separation of powers. Why? Because Obama put that in place without any statutory authority from Congress whatsoever. He knew it was unconstitutional. He said as much a year before, but he did it anyway. Has Chuck Schumer gone to the Senate floor and said, this violates our Article I separation of powers. 
our rights to legislate that Obama legislated in lieu of us, that it's dictatorial and unconstitutional? Of course not. Has Scarborough? No. Did Murkowski propose legislation to repeal Obamacare based on the fact that it violates separation of powers? No, she's not. How about all these other putative originalists? Not one of them. Now we've addressed that. Number three. Number three. They talk about the right to appropriate. They put in statutes themselves. Congress passes these statutes. Put in statutes themselves language that gives a president flexibility to move money around within accounts and from one account to another. The president is citing those statutes. Unlike Obama, the president is citing congressional statutes signed by previous presidents as the legal authority for acting. He's not creating something out of whole cloth. He sees a national emergency. Of course the Democrats don't. They've been obstructing every effort he's been trying to make through the usual processes to fund the damn wall. The same processes they used to support. Now they oppose it because of him. Now they oppose it because they want to turn purple states blue and red states purple. It is they who are violating American sovereignty. It is they who don't give a damn about the Constitution. When they talk about a 70 to 90 percent marginal tax rate, when they talk about a wealth tax, where is this stuff in the Constitution? When they talk about a Green New Deal that will nationalize every damn inch of your home, your car, and your business, where is that in the Constitution? And where is it in the Constitution that the commander-in-chief, looking with his own two eyes at the southern border, that they're wide open, that drugs are pouring in, that criminals, gang members are pouring in, and other people, we don't even know who they are, in violation of existing immigration laws that affect our national security, and law enforcement, and local governments, and state governments, and private property rights. Where is it written that he has to sit on his hands while Congress has violated the Constitution time and time and time again by creating departments and agencies that legislate left and right and right and left? Finally, we have a president who says, I want to do something about this. And he can't even count on every single member of his party in the United States Senate. And he can't even count on every member of his party in the House of Representatives. They twist the Constitution. They twist their arguments. These clowns go to the floor of the House and the Senate every day. And they violate in defiance of the Constitution. They vote in defiance of the Constitution. Now, let's walk through this when I return. So you can feel very, very comfortable that you're not a hypocrite, that you are a constitutionalist and an originalist, and all these others are carnival barkers. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
Now, ladies and gentlemen, it appears that the new congressional leadership is on a course to impede our liberty, your liberty and mine and the future liberty of your children and your grandchildren. Many of our representatives simply don't understand or care about the critical imperative to preserve our liberty. And it would seem that some of these so-called progressives actually seek to kill it. And these progressives are quite unlikely to understand or learn these things, which is why we have to. We need to overcome them. Our founding fathers counted on we the people to hold our government in check and be being able to do that means understanding the proper role of Congress. Now, to help us understand this critical issue for a limited time, my friends at Hillsdale College have brought their powerful online course on the history and proper role of Congress back, absolutely free to equip all of us to know what we should expect of our Congress. I encourage you to check out this course, but not just you, your family, your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors. Spread the word of liberty. Like Hillsdale College is. Hillsdale is on an important mission to restore liberty in our great country. And for a limited time, you can take their excellent and enlightening online courses for free. I urge you to sign up right now for this critical course at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Learn how Congress used to work and why it doesn't work anymore. Learn more about liberty. Spread the word. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. know that they actually passed laws that empower the president to do what he's doing? Do members of Congress even know what laws they vote on? Do they have any idea? The National Emergencies Act been in existence since 1976. Were they aware of that? There was a great piece by Sean Davis at the Federalist a week or two ago. He I, Jonathan Turley, many others have looked at this. It's not even a hard case. I mean, you get in front of Obama judges, uh, you know, up is down and down is up. You're in Obama Wonderland. But when you really look at it, and he points out, in fact, the formal declaration of national emergency on the U.S.-Mexico border cities triggers two specific federal statutes that provide the president with a legal basis to use emergency funds to secure the border. One authorizing the president to declare it national emergencies, 50 United States Code 1601, and the other authorizing the president to reprogram existing federal appropriations in response to an emergency declaration, 10 U.S.C. 2808. You know what U.S.C. stands for? United States Code. You know how things get in the United States Code? Congress must pass them. That is, codify them. These are two congressional statutes. Between 2001 and 2014, according to a January 2019 analysis by the Congressional Research Service, Presidents George W. Bush and Barack Obama, I'm only using them, used those two laws in tandem 18 separate times to reprogram existing appropriations to address national emergency. So there's nothing unusual or unprecedented in Trump using the same authorities to respond to national security threats. So all this hyperbole and demagoguery and propaganda is BS. Because you didn't hear any of these politicians, any of these fools in the media, object once between 2001 and 2014. Not once.
Did you hear Susan Collins or Lisa Murkowski or the clown Tillis or any of the others? Not once did they raise an objection. A separation of powers objection, 2001 and 2014. And this statute, which I've read to you on the air, actually claims to empower the president under certain circumstances to declare martial law. It empowers the president to nationalize industries. It empowers the president to direct industries to produce something different than they usually produce. President Trump isn't even touching that stuff. He's not doing anything of the sort. Now, the first law, as you know, known as the National Emergencies Act of 1976, it's 43 years old, explicitly authorizes the president declare, to declare a national emergency. Here's the key text, as uh, Davis points out. With respect to acts of Congress authorizing the exercise during the period of a national emergency of any specific or extraordinary power, the president is authorized to declare such national emergency. Such proclamation shall immediately be transmitted to Congress and published to the Federal Register. Moreover, any provisions of law conferring powers and authorities to be exercised during a national emergency shall be effective and remain in effect only when the president, let's see here, in accordance with Section A of this section, specifically declares a national emergency and only in accordance with this chapter. No law enacted after September 14, 1976 shall supersede this subchapter unless it does so in specific terms and so forth. So as the text demonstrates, the president clearly has the authority to declare a national emergency. But it is important to note what is missing from the text. Any conditions, requirements, or examples of what constitutes a national emergency. They don't provide any. Congress put no constraints on whether a president may declare an emergency or what conditions must be met in order for a particular event or crisis to be considered an emergency. Instead, the law leaves that decision solely up to the president. That's the law. Rather than constraining the president's authority to declare an emergency or setting conditions on what may be considered an emergency, Congress opted to limit the authority of the president to take certain actions in the event of an emergency. In other words, Congress allowed the president to walk into the room at his sole discretion, then limited what he was allowed to do in there once he entered. The president's authority to declare a national emergency established by statute it's by statute. Now let us turn to what authorities the president has granted once a national emergency is declared. Now we'll do this after the break. Do you know why the Congress passed this statute? Because prior to 1976, presidents were asserting national emergencies on their own as a implied power as commander-in-chief and the head of the executive branch. Lincoln did it. Theodore Roosevelt did it. Franklin Roosevelt did it, others did it. So Congress said, you know what, we want to codify this thing. They make it they, they, they make it like Trump is some kind of a dictator, that he's ripping up the Constitution. We can't put up with this. When in fact he's very passive and tame when it comes to doing such things. He really is. More when I return. The new congressional leadership is in town, but there's nothing new about what they're pushing. Big government, centralized government, iron-fisted government, higher taxes, more regulations, open borders. 
They're on a mission to obstruct our freedom and undermine our sovereignty. Yours, mine, all of ours. And too many representatives don't care. This is the nature of progressivism. It's an ideological poison. And the best way to fight it is with knowledge, information about liberty, about the Declaration, about the Constitution, and how Congress is supposed to work. It's up to we, the people, to understand what our government is and is not supposed to do. And that includes Congress. And thankfully, my good friends at Hillsdale College have brought back the powerful online course on the history and proper role of Congress, and it's absolutely free. Please take advantage of this remarkable offer to equip yourself, your family, your friends, your neighbors with the knowledge that all of us should have about our Congress and our government generally. Hillsdale College is on a critical mission to restore liberty in our great country. And you can take their excellent online courses for free for a limited time. So sign up right now for this important course at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Learn how Congress used to work and why it doesn't anymore so we can do something about it. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. They can clone the others. But there's only one, Mark Levin, and you can call him at 877-381-3811. Now, before we jump back into the law here, you've been hearing Democrats, media types, and Republicans saying, well, if the Democrats take control, they'll use this for the Second Amendment and guns and climate change. You know, ladies and gentlemen, that is exactly why the president and his lawyers are not doing what the Democrats, the media, and some of these Republicans say. He's not steamrolling anything. He's triggering the law, and then in order to support what he wants to do, he has to look at other laws that Congress has also passed for funding. He's doing this by the book. If a Democrat were to become president of the United States, among all the other problems we would have, and the Democrat says, you know what? We've got a lot of shooting going on here, so I, I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to change the Second Amendment in some respects, uh, either through the back door or a frontal attack on it, with a national emergency declaration. You can't change the Constitution with any kind of declaration or any kind of statute. So that would clearly be unconstitutional, yet they try to do this all the time. They don't need President Trump to create some kind of phony precedent that they're declaring. How about climate change? Climate change is a national emergency, so I'm going to assert blah, blah, blah. Well, what are you going to do once you assert it? You're going to start nationalizing our industries? What are you going to do? They won't get away with that. That's not going to happen. This law is not intended to be a pour through, through which the left can do whatever it wants to do. There's still other laws. There's still the Constitution, and you must comply with them. The president is complying with them. That's why it ought not create any kind of precedent. But the Democrats don't need precedent. They just kick the damn door down and do whatever the hell they want to do. A wealth tax is unconstitutional. Do you hear anybody talk about that other than me? A 70 to 90% marginal rate tax after your first dollar after 10 million, or they're so confused they don't even know how, to, how, how it would apply. They don't need the president to legitimately use the National Emergencies Act to push that agenda. Their Green New Deal, which is utterly unconstitutional. They don't care about the Constitution. They just use it when they think the ends justify the means. That's all, because they know we'll have a few jackasses on our side who fall for it. I believe in the Constitution. I've spent my life defending it and explaining it and promoting it. This is not unconstitutional. 
I don't care how many stupid, illiterate, ill-informed or uninformed politicians say otherwise. The president's authority to declare a national emergency is established by statute. It was established almost 50 years ago. Now, within the context of the emergency border wall debate, that law is 10 U.S.C. 2808. That delegates to the president in the event of a national emergency that requires the U.S. military the authority to reprogram existing appropriations for military construction projects in order to address the ongoing emergency. Now, stick with me. Here's the text of that statute. Notice, notice, this is mechanical. It's careful. There's a pattern. There's a process. It's not, hey, there's climate change. Let's declare an emergency. Section A of that statute, in the event of a declaration of war or the declaration by the president of a national emergency in accordance with the National Emergencies Act that requires use of the armed forces, the Secretary of Defense, without regard to any other provision of law, may undertake military construction projects and may authorize the secretaries of the military departments to undertake military construction projects not otherwise authorized by law that are necessary to support such use of armed forces. Such projects may be undertaken only within the total amount of funds that have been appropriated for military construction, including funds appropriated for family housing, that have not been obligated. So right there, and I'll explain in more detail in a moment, a pool of funds that Congress has authorized the president to use for military construction projects. There it is. And he decides. Maximum authority. There it is. When a decision is made to undertake military construction projects authorized by this section, Secretary of Defense shall notify an electronic medium pursuant to Section 480 of this title, the appropriate committees of Congress, and so forth. So there are several important phrases in this particular statute, namely, as Davis writes, requires the use of armed forces, military construction process, and necessary to support such use of the armed forces. Who determines whether the use of the armed forces is required during a particular national emergency. The simple answer is that such discretion belongs to the President of the United States in the discharge of his duties as Commander-in-Chief under Article 2 of the Constitution. That states, the President shall be Commander-in-Chief of the Army and Navy of the United States and of the militia of the several states when called in the actual service of the United States. So in the absence of federal laws prohibiting the deployment or use of the armed forces, we have the Posse Comitatus Act that prohibits the Army and Navy from engaging in domestic law enforcement, as an example. The president's discretion on whether to use armed forces is required, whether that's required to secure and defend the United States, is absolute. Similar to the law authorizing the president to declare a national emergency. Nowhere in the statute at issue. This Congress set forth certain conditions that must be met prior to determining the use of the U.S. military as the president believes is required. And the determination does not reside with professional political pundits, party activists, or even federal judges. Under the Constitution, it's the president, no one else, who retains the authority to command the U.S. military. Now, what about the ball, the uh, wall construction? So first, we've established, as Sean Davis puts it, the president has the legal authority to declare a national emergency and to determine that the U.S. military is required to respond to such an emergency. 
president may reprogram existing appropriations towards military construction projects, quote-unquote. If he has declared a national emergency that requires the use of the armed forces, does a barrier to protect the U.S. border and those who reside within it qualify? To determine that, we examine the law's definition, definition of military construction projects. I know for some of you, it's, hey, come on now. No, this is important. Here's how that law defines the term military construction projects. You know, they could do this on TV. It would take them 20 minutes, but they're not going to do it. Instead, they want the hype and the yelling and the salivating and all the rest. This is from the statute. The term military construction is used in this chapter or any provision of law includes any construction, development, conversion, or extension of any kind carried out with respect to a military installation, whether to satisfy temporary or permanent requirements or any acquisition of land or construction of a defense access road. Now, given that definition, we now need to work at what, look at what the law defines as a military installation, right? The term military installation means a base, camp, post, station, yard, center, or other activity under the jurisdiction of the secretary of a military department or in the case of an activity in a foreign country under the operational control of the secretary of a military department or secretary of defense. So according to those statutes, a military construction project is, quote, any construction with respect to activity under the jurisdiction of the secretary of a military department. The border wall clearly qualifies as construction, so that portion of the statute satisfied. But does it qualify as activity under the jurisdiction of the secretary of a military department? Some of the lawyers out there say, no, no way. As a broad matter, that seems to be a difficult position to hold, given that it requires one to argue that the military has no role in protecting the United States. If border security is solely the matter of non-military agencies, like Homeland Security, then it must follow that the U.S. military would have no role, authority, or jurisdiction in repelling an invasion of the United States, a position that's clearly nonsensical. Makes little sense to argue that two presidents were justified in using emergency authority, this statute, to reprogram funds to build and maintain U.S. facilities in foreign nations in order to protect their security, as they did 18 separate times between 2001 and 2014, but that the current president has no authority to use the same funds to secure actual American soil from foreign evasion. Does it? I would even argue in the alternative or in a footnote, if the president has the authority to call up the military to secure the border as he does when these various evasions occurs, that answers the question, period. That yes, time to time it's a military operation and it has been under the two preceding presidents. Doesn't violate posse comitatus or any other statute. Now, not, although not referenced specifically, there's an additional law, 33 United States Code 2293, gives the president the authority to reprogram certain civil defense funds, namely appropriations for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, to support the federal response to a declaration of a national emergency. Quote, ter- <coughs> excuse me, termination or deferment of civil works projects, application of resources to national defense projects, in the event of a declaration of war, a declaration by the president of a national emergency in accordance with the National Emergencies Act that requires and may require use of the armed forces, the secretary, without regard to any other provision of law. And it goes on. 
So these are federal statutes that are intentionally ambiguous. But the president's actions are not ambiguous. He wants to secure the border. He sees it as a national emergency, correctly so. He gets to make that determination solely. Not members of Congress. They had their chance. And they've had their chance for 20 years. Not courts, because courts are not equipped to make these decisions. A judge and their three clerks. He's the commander-in-chief. He makes the decision. The funding sources are provided for in Defense Department funding and in other areas of funding, Army Corps of Engineers as well as other areas, for the president to move. The president hasn't decided that on his own as a legal matter. As a legal matter, that authority has been granted to him by Congress. He has the authority to make that decision. president has the authority to declare a national emergency, to determine whether the use of armed forces is required to respond to it, the military, and to use already appropriated funds for military construction or civil defense construction funds to respond to the declared emergency. Current law requires a secure border and empowers the Department of Homeland Security to use any means necessary to prevent all unlawful entries across the border. The Department of Homeland Security formally requested the assistance of the U.S. military, and the Department of Defense agreed to support the mission of securing the U.S. border. The activities happen not just within the confines of existing federal law, but because of it. I hope that you feel better informed now. This isn't the same thing as Democrats saying, hey, you know what? I think that climate change is a a national emergency. Okay, now what? What are you going to do? What are you allowed to do? Not a lot. Hey, you know what? I think we need more gun control. I'm going to trigger a national emergency. Uh, No, you're not. You can't use this statute to change the Constitution. And you still hear these mental midgets going on. Hey, aren't we hypocrites? Look at these conservatives. They attack Obama on DACA, and then they support this. This was the center of the op-ed in the Washington Compost by Tillis today, the Republican from North Carolina. Why do you think he submitted it to the Washington Compost? See, I'm independent. See, I believe in the Constitution. See, I believe in separation of powers, and Trump doesn't. Yes, he does. You are a buffoon, Mr. Tillis, and the rest. This literally has nothing to do with separation of powers. Literally has nothing to do with separation of powers. The DACA imposition by fiat had everything to do with separation of powers. These statutes that I read to you, there are no similar statutes for DACA. They just sat down at the White House and drew it up and issued it. And you don't hear any of them saying that we must, we must repeal that unconstitutional dictatorial fiat. You don't hear any of them say that. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I want to thank our sponsor, Hillsdale College, for all they do to try and maintain the greatness of America. You know, most colleges have enough trouble maintaining the greatness on their own campuses, and they have declined. And they have fallen into cultural rot, not Hillsdale College. It's a special place. And now they reach out to all citizens of the country to spread the word of liberty, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, capitalism, all the great things that make America what she is today. And now that Congress is under new leadership, it already seems to be on a mission to thwart our liberty, doesn't it? Yours and mine. But too many representatives don't know how to preserve liberty, and too many of them don't care. 
We call them progressives. But I'm not interested in the progressives. I'm interested in you, we the people. It's up to we the people to retain what we have earned and to retain what we have received from our founding fathers. And our founding fathers counted on we the people to hold our government in check. And being able to do that means understanding the proper role of Congress. That's why for a limited time, my good friends at Hillsdale have brought their powerful online course on the history and proper role of Congress back, absolutely free, to equip all of us to know what we should expect of our Congress. Hillsdale is on a mission to restore liberty like the rest of us. And you can take their excellent online course for free for a limited time. Sign up today for this critical course at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Learn how Congress used to work and why it doesn't anymore. Learn about liberty, the Declaration, the Constitution. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. favor of willy-nilly using a statute like this, but I don't think there's any willy-nilly going on here. The president has tried everything in the routine course. He's tried to cajole and convince and deal with Congress, but the Democrats in Congress, uh, their main constituency are foreigners who've yet to come to this country, whom they wish to turn into voting Democrats at one point. That's how they intend to conquer once and for all the Electoral College. That's how they intend to win the presidency forevermore. We know exactly what they're doing. Party ahead of country. Party ahead of security. Party ahead of sovereignty. Now, when a president is faced with something like this, and he's done everything from taking steps that result in a partial shutdown of the government, then he goes back and he gives them two more weeks to negotiate... He's done everything he possibly can, more than any president before him that I can remember. And finally, he says, look, I got a problem here. I represent the American people. This is politics within the White House, excuse me, within the uh, Beltway bubble. I have to act. This statute allows me to act. These statutes allow me to move funds. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. We're going to put more on the table before I go to the calls. Remember my proposal last evening that reparations should be paid to those who are legitimately and can show that they're in the bloodstream of of an ancestor who was an American slave, but that the reparations should be paid by the Democratic Party, given the, the incredibly outrageous role the Democrat Party has played throughout most of the history of this country. When it comes to race, particularly when it comes to black people. Uh, The Democrat Party was really formed around the idea of slavery, defended slavery, promoted slavery. During the Civil War, fought for slavery. After the Civil War, created these little terrorist groups like the Klan. They were offshoots and very influential in the Democrat Party for decades, decades. In fact, for for really almost a century. 
as they sought to uh, destroy Reconstruction. And they continued to fight. They fought against every single civil rights bill ever proposed, or a significant number of them voted against it, even in the 1960s. But the civil rights legislation in the 1800s, post-Civil War, 13th, 14th Amendments, um, the civil rights legislation proposed in 1957 and passed under Dwight Eisenhower in 1960, under Dwight Eisenhower, and also uh, you remember the 64 Civil Rights and the 65 Civil Rights Act, often referred to as the Voting Rights Act. And all the rest of it. Republicans didn't do a damn thing, except fight it. You can't name a single Republican governor who stood in a schoolhouse doorway to block little black kids from going to school with little white kids. You can't name one. Excuse me. My point to you is this. It's not an obligation of everybody, people who weren't here, their ancestors weren't here, uh, people who had absolutely no role in slavery. It's not their obligation to pay reparations to anybody for anything. But when we have an identifiable entity in this country, the biggest political party, which has been involved in race baiting and racism from the beginning and even is today in a different way, and then you have their candidates who are saying that we ought to pay reparations in some form, I say that we means you, and you all ought to figure out the DNC, your state parties, your billionaires who keep donating to you and so forth, how you're going to pay reparations. You guys figure it out, and you guys do it. It's not the general we. And so that's my answer to the reparations issue. It's not my responsibility. It's not the responsibility of of tens of millions of Americans. It's just not. Now, Michael Cohen is on Capitol Hill for three days testifying behind closed doors. And his lousy little rat fink lawyer, among many of them, Lanny Davis, is out there leaking like a sieve telling the people uh, what he's going to say. And he's going to bring up things you're not going to believe. Crimes the president has committed in the Oval Office. Money payments, women, blah, 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 blah. Now we have two offices with prosecutors whom uh, Mr. Cohen is familiar with uh, because he's been prosecuted by both and he has confessed to felonious conduct to both. But what I don't get is this. The man lied to Congress, and he's going to do time in prison for, among other things, lying to Congress. He lied on his tax returns. He lied to get loans. According to one congressman, he's been uh, unfaithful to his wife. In other words, he, he is a sleazeball extraordinaire. And he is a admitted liar. A confessed criminal. So why does Congress want to talk to him? other than to get information, leak, and create news cycle after news cycle against the President of the United States. Nothing he says matters as a legislative matter to Congress, 
They can't do anything with it. Anything that he alleges that is quote-unquote criminal, he's already had to tell uh, the offices of two federal uh, of federal prosecutors in Washington, D.C. and New York. And so now we're going to be bombarded for the next 72 hours with leaks or what Michael Cohen's going to say or what his lawyer says he's going to say. I mean, this is the problem. With a crummy, pathetic, so-called news media in this country. They work hand-in-hand with the worst elements of the Democrat Party. Hand-in-hand. To sabotage this presidency. To sabotage this president. They never would have done this thing to John Kennedy. They never would have done this thing to Lyndon Johnson. Matter of fact, they didn't. They never would have done this thing to Franklin Roosevelt. And I can go on and on. Trump, yes. Reagan, sure. Nixon, yes. Everything they did, or in case of Trump does, is a bombshell, is sleazy, is immoral, uh, is undermining our traditions, is staining the office of the presidency, and you know the phrases, on and on and on. And this endless mantra that he's a racist in order to try and crater the progress he was making with the black vote, particularly black males, is really grotesque, and it's being led by the media. It's being led by the media. So I think that's important to point out. You got this guy, Cohen. Here's the other thing. Cohen is the one who committed criminal offenses, right? So how does he waive attorney-client privilege? How does he waive confidentiality? How does he waive attorney work product? All these things that are central to you having fair representation. A lawyer who is loyal to you. How does he waive on behalf of the President of the United States, his former client? In other words, it's one thing for him to waive his records as, as relates to potential crimes that he's committed. But how does that open the door all the way for prosecutors and for FBI agents, for investigators, to get access to all of Trump's information? You see what I mean, Mr. Producer? Trump hasn't waived anything. Think about it in your own case. Some of you have had lawyers in divorce cases, in contract cases, in criminal cases, whatever the situation. The fact that your lawyer has done things that result in your lawyer being charged, investigated and charged, that doesn't mean now that local, state, and or federal government should have access to all your stuff. I mean, how else do you get counsel if you can't confide in your lawyer? This is fundamental. To due process in this country. Fundamental. But we never have this discussion, do we? We never have it. And now he's on Capitol Hill and he's claiming, you know, uh, Trump did this. And uh, Lanny Davis suggested, I know, the despicable Lanny Davis. He's like a bad rash. I can't get rid of the guy. He's a bad rash on the body politic. He's a hemorrhoid in the body politic. Well, you figure it out. Uh, Lanny Davis out there that Trump, you know, used the N-word or put down black people in front of Michael Cohen. Nobody else says that. Even Joe Deliverance Scarborough says, I was around the president a lot. I never heard, you know, any of that sort of stuff and so forth. But all of a sudden, Michael Cohen, a confessed liar, a felon, 
It's nothing to him to say whatever he wants. Most of his family is liberal and apparently hates Trump, which is bizarre since Trump, at least in some respects, helped feed that family. Now, now he's going to tell us that Trump said this. So what, how does Trump even defend himself? He can't. This is the ongoing smear of the president of the United States. And I sit here and I think to myself, really, what the hell has Trump done to deserve all this? What has he done to deserve all this? He dared to get elected president. He dares to try and do things like build a wall. He dares to follow multiple federal statutes in doing so. He dares to challenge the bureaucracy. He dares to call out media people when he thinks they're unfair. You're just not allowed to do that. You have to be a failed Republican president. You have to roll over. They're trying to beat him into submission. They're trying to sabotage his presidency, burden it, make it impossible for him to govern, and he just keeps plowing ahead. He makes the Energizer Bunny look like a joke. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Don't you think, ladies and gentlemen, the Democrat Party, their role in slavery and segregation, their role in really obstructing racial progress for so many decades in this country, now they pretend that they're for it by handing out government goodies in order to keep people pretty much status quo where they are. This is a very morally deficient party, the Democrat Party. Not all Democrats, not you rank-and-file folks. Your leaders are a disgrace. Not only your history, your leaders. This from the Washington Examiner, Kimberly Leonard. Senate Democrats yesterday defeated a Republican attempt to advance legislation that would clarify that babies who survive attempted abortions must receive medical care. There is no excuse, no excuse, none whatsoever, to fail to support this federal law. None. Republicans and anti-abortion advocates push for the bill, the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, the fact that we even need this shows you what a, uh, how, this, how this culture has spun out of control. We don't treat animals this way. Republicans and anti-abortion advocates push for the bill, the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, to receive a vote so that they could put individual senators on the spot regarding the issue of third trimester abortion. Republican senators have been aiming to pressure Democrats to state whether they believe any limits should be placed on abortion of the sort that we're talking about. The legislation fell short of the 60 votes it needed to advance in a procedural maneuver, 53 to 44. Democrats Bob Casey of Pennsylvania, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, and Doug Jones of Alabama joined all Republicans present in voting in favor. Not another Democrat voted for it. Not another Democrat voted for it. This is as extreme, this is as radical as it gets. 
I have no respect for this party whatsoever. They want to destroy our economy. They want to destroy our, uh, our border, our sovereignty. They have worked hard to destroy our Constitution. Now they're out of the closet when it comes to human life. I don't always follow the Democrats, Jones told the Washington Examiner of his decision to support the bill. Having studied the bill, I think it's the right vote. Republicans and Democrats largely talk past each other about the bill's purpose during floor debate. Ahead of the vote, Senator Ben Sass, who introduced the bill, said it would stop doctors from letting a baby die who survived a botched abortion. Democrats countered that the bill would limit what doctors could do after the birth of a baby who had a grave medical condition and as a result either wouldn't live past birth or wouldn't survive. But let's address that. So you have a baby that is born. We even admit it's a baby that is born that has a grave medical condition. And you just leave it on the steel table? You just leave it there? You don't help it? You don't know in advance if it's going to survive five hours, ten hours, twenty, whatever it is. So you have doctors and nurses there who just leave it there? And that's okay? I want you to think about this and think about the decision on partial partial birth abortion where you literally kill the baby, you sever its spine and you suck its brain out before it exits its mother. You leave it right in the canal where you can see the top of its head and kill it in the womb. Actually, Not even in the womb, in the birth canal. And then you deliver it dead. Now, I would call that a pretty sickening loophole, wouldn't you, Mr. Producer? Now, this is what the Democrat Party stands for. This is what the extreme left stands for. Well, they go, hey, free education. Hey, free health care. Hey, this. Do you understand what kind of blood they have in their system? It's called ice water. why Bernie Sanders can look at Venezuela and go, what we need here, what we need here is a, is a vote. Is it? No, that's not what you need there. You POS defending the Soviet Union and Castro and Chavez and Ortega and now this. What does he do? He just had to run around and offer people free things when they have this fascistic mentality. No wonder you coward. No wonder you won't come on my radio show. You jerk. No wonder you won't come on any of my TV shows. You're a joke. I see right through you. I don't blame you for not coming on my program. I won't treat you like Jake Tapper. I won't treat you like Rachel Maddow. I will treat you like the serious, dangerous human being you are. Same with all the rest of them. So the Democrats, almost to a man and woman, but for three, only three, voted for, voted against this. So there are no moderate Democrats left in, in the Senate, or in the House for that matter. There are none. When you sit down and you think about this, you think about what's being done to this generation of human beings. 
our parents and grandparents, it wouldn't even, it would, not, it would never have crossed their minds to do something like this. We don't even have self-respect. We, our grandparents and parents, it would never have crossed their mind to allow this to happen. And yet, look at this. Roe v. Wade, a woman's right to choose. And this, this is murder. A woman's right to murder? Screw that. I'll be right back. If you have a moment, I want you all to go to BrickHouseLevin.com. Just go there and click on the Buy Now button so you can read the reviews. Over 1,200 five-star reviews, I might add. But this one caught my attention from Steve in Denver. I'm upset with Mark because he's got me hooked on Field of Greens. What a great product. Thank you, BrickHouse, for your amazing product and great customer service. I'm a monthly subscriber, and I won't live without it. And you're welcome, Steve. And subscribing is smart. You save money that way. Field of Greens is made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables and helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Plus, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN. Get 15% off your first order with promo code LEVIN. That's BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN, promo code LEVIN. Show the pool feed for the conservative media. Dive in now. 877-381-3811. You know, in his State of the Union address, President Trump talked about the progress his administration has made in cutting red tape to get less expensive generic drugs to the market faster. That's good. We've been discussing drug pricing on this show since the beginning of the year. But what he didn't talk about was his Health and Human Services Secretary, Alex Azar, who's pushing a drug pricing plan that includes price controls. It's sort of a Bernie Sanders plan. Now, we don't have price controls in the U.S. Why? Because they don't work. They result in rationing, shortages. Demand goes up, supply goes down. And you never get ahead with new technologies, new types of drugs to improve the quality of life. And uh, most of the world's groundbreaking drug treatments were invented, researched, and tested in the USA, where American pharmaceutical companies fund 44% of all the world's medical research and development. And I'm watching TV, and I'm listening to them going on and on about how these companies are bad, and how they rip us off, and how all we need is for the government to get involved in our, in our drugstores, in our pharmaceuticals. How do you think that'll work, friends? In the United Kingdom, only 74% of many cancer treatments developed since 2011 are available. In Japan, less than half. And in socialist Greece, only 8%. I wonder how much in Scandinavia, Venezuela, Cuba. Compare that to the U.S. where 95% are available. So I'm speaking out against this plan in the administration being led by Secretary Azar and the left, and I'm watching ads on TV said to be funded by the American Conservative Union, which are embarrassing. 
because this plan will result in price controls, lead to scarcity, denied access, and a lot less capital investment in new research, innovation, and development for cutting-edge drugs to reduce pain, to extend life, and to improve the quality of life. In other words, this will directly threaten you and your family. So you need to get involved. Get the facts. Go to truehealthcarefacts.com. That's truehealthcarefacts.com. Truehealthcarefacts.com. Yes, I believe in the market system. I really do. Let us take a call or two, shall we? Dave, San Diego, California, Sirius Satellite. Go. Oh, hello, Mark. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm a first-time caller, and I've been listening to you for uh, at least three years now. Thank you. Um, Yeah, and I really appreciate uh, your straightforward uh, description of our constitutional republic, and that's what it is, a constitutional republic. Um, the, the screaming of a democracy is a, I'm a former, um, I'm a veteran of the United States uh, Marine Corps. My family, four out of six siblings have served. My wow. brother's an active state trooper in the state of Alabama. And I am fleeing. Well, let me just family. say thank you to you and your family. Go right ahead. Um, the, um, and as well, um, the one thing, I'm just an ordinary citizen from an ordinary family who loves this country, and our family loves this country. And I'm very concerned uh, that the narrative continues to be this leftist drill, dr- dribble. Um, and it's I've, the research that I've been able to do um, using the resources I have tells me what the truth is. And the truth is, um, basically, I agree with you 100%, you know, um, maybe not on everything, but for the most part, the wide arc of things. And I want to know, as an American citizen, a normal citizen that supports this president and no longer longer unwilling to not speak up, I want to speak up. I want to get involved. I want to get active. So what's your question? What can we, the people, do um, to really get involved? Now, I do vote. I do the best. I, I don't have a simple answer for this. It's a very complicated matter now. I... I've encouraged people to participate in Convention of States, Article 5. I think that's the way out of this. Uh, And I wish more and more people listening to this program would. But it has taken us 100 years to get to this point, from the progressive movement um, and the slow but steady expanse of centralized government, their army of bureaucrats, their, uh, their violations of the constitutional order, their attacks on the Declaration of Independence. Uh, this has taken some time, and that's why we need to try to elect more and more conservatives as well as embrace this Article 5 Convention of States process. Other than that, sir, I don't know that we're going to escape this. I don't know that we're going to get out of this. You know, there's no that God didn't promise us that for forevermore in perpetuity that we will be a free people. People have warned about this day. People have warned that if we are to lose our liberty, it's likely to be from within. And I believe that's exactly what's occurring. But it appears, and it does appear that way, but I believe that a praying people, uh, the foundation of this country can withstand at this point, and that we can move forward because... All right, right, let me just tell you this. Let me just be blunt. I have no problem with praying. But that's not enough. 
Ask the six million Jews who went to their death at the Holocaust. Ask the four to seven million Ukrainians who were starved to death by Stalin. Ask the people who prayed for life who were slaughtered by ISIS. Prayer is important. But I also believe God gave us free will to try and do something about these various things. And what I'm saying here right now is operating within our constitutional system when our opponents do not operate within our constitutional system but are constantly ripping at it, shredding it. Uh, We have a very, very complicated situation on our hands, very difficult situation on our hands that a simple election cannot fix. This is why I'm so strenuous, aggressive, outspoken in defense of the president, even when I disagree with him on some matters. Because it's him now. He stands between us and them. And either we back him or they get to us. And I want to thank you for your service, my friend. I really do. And the rest of your family, too. God bless. All right. Let us continue. Robbie, Hot Springs, Arkansas, Sirius Satellite. Go. How are you, Mark? Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. I wanted to uh, tell you I appreciate what you do. But, you know, this vote yesterday on a, about these babies, this baby alive, you know, it is absolutely sickening to me that we are in a place in our country, in our nation, where we the people speak up for what we get to do. And we've got these people who vote to allow the death of babies. We're the protectors. We yep. the adults are the protectors of these children and these babies. And it's sickening that we're in this place now to where we've got these people who vote like this. And that you, you know what this reminds me of? Treating newborn babies like this I don't care what condition they have you try and save their lives this reminds me of Mengele I mean this really does you know people bring up Hitler in the third right this really reminds me of this sort of stuff where you don't you don't have you don't have a conscience you don't have a a, a, a set of morals where you kick into action to try and save a little baby Instead, you let it suffocate or whatever the hell's going on, and then you call it a choice, you call it a right, and almost every single Democrat in the Senate voted against protecting a baby. I mean, I, it, it's shameful. And I believe, yes, the good Lord is going to punish us for this. I really believe you can't, you can't call yourself a... Uh, a, 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 a loving society and you can't get the Democrat Party can't call itself uh, the party of uh, of the needy and the poor and so forth when it obstructs efforts to protect babies. I mean, I, I never even thought we'd reach this day. Did you? No, sir. No, sir. I didn't. And, uh, you know, 2020, huh, we're, we're going to have to talk about this every day because Kamala Harris voted against this and she's running Every one of them that are running votes yep. against this. You're right. We've got to remember this. I just hope there's enough people left in this country who are appalled by this. I don't know. It it is sickening, 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 and it you know, God bless us for being believers in what we believe in and being believers in what we do. And you know, how, how the hell I, can you be a father or a mother, or a grandfather or a grandmother? And 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 listen to this stuff, and not get nauseous. It, it's it's bad. And how do they look at their own kids? 
you know. That, well, they're that, different. You know, their kids are special. You know, they're behind their protected walls. They're behind their protected armed guards. By God, who is protecting these babies? You know, that who is doing that? And, I, and I'll tell you something else. You go to Capitol Hill, man, it, it is like an armed encampment. It is like a military fort with all the physical barriers, with, uh, with, uh, with, with, with soldiers, I guess, out there with uh, semi-automatic and automatic weapons and, uh, and the Capitol Police, who I adore, uh, you know, significant numbers of them and, and the metal detectors and everything. We got to hear lectures from these people about how the border is not dangerous, how people coming in, that we're manufacturing the danger and so forth and so on, just as a matter of rationality. If you're a violent criminal, or even if you're a terrorist, or you're a a drug kingpin, and the border's open, why the hell wouldn't you take advantage of us? It doesn't even make any sense. Of course you would take advantage of us. That's right. All right, my friend. I appreciate your call. Hot Springs, isn't that where FDR used to go? I think it was. John, Manteca, California, XM Satellite. Go right ahead, sir. Yeah, sir. I'm a retired police officer. And Thank you, sir. this allowing a baby to die, I would like to see the police officers out there and the DAs file charges for murder or for child neglect that allowed the baby to die and let those work through the case, work through the courts and really see who's going to back that. Well, we already know some states, you know, like New York, and Virginia was pushing it for a time, uh, was going to legalize this behavior. So the county prosecutor, the town prosecutor, or state-related prosecutors wouldn't even be allowed to bring the case. Well, I would, I would definitely, if I was still in the, work, in the job, I would arrest the doctor. And I don't blame you because, you know, they do the sanctuary city crap and everything else. Okay, we're a sanctuary city too. You have, you give birth to a baby, you damn well better protect that baby. Absolutely. And it just sickens me just even thinking about it. And like you said about the Nazis, sir, it's that type of attitude that led to them, the Nazis, condoning the killing of... The Jews. And you know, whether it's them or it's the Stalinists or whomever it is, once you've lost your humanity, once your soul has turned into coal, once you can look at a little baby, a nine month old, eight month old, a premium, I don't know what it is. Once you can look at a baby and draw that conclusion that that baby, you're not going to save that baby, there's something truly sick. Thanks for your call and your service. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Maybe you know someone who's battling diabetes or maybe Parkinson's disease. Maybe that someone is you. Here in America... We're lucky to have access to new treatments for diseases like diabetes nearly every two years before other countries. We also lead the world in medical innovation. The future also holds incredible promise for fighting diseases like Parkinson's, MS, and others. But a proposed HHS pricing scheme for Medicare Part B threatens American innovation and would jeopardize our access to promising new medicines on the horizon. Improving 
healthcare means defending innovation, immediate access and choice, not adopting foreign price controls. The right solution is market-based reform that fosters competition and makes other countries pay their fair share. Their price controls would risk every future treatment. Keep American medical innovation great. Tell President Trump to reject the Medicare Bart B pricing scheme being proposed by his administration. Visit mypartb.org. Mypartb.org. And this was paid for by Americans for Tax Reform. And here's the point. Many of us who've been around a long time have had to fight government for a long time. We have seen the areas that the government now is succeeding in devouring. And one of the areas, of course, is health care. The government has gone a long way now, since Obama, to interfere in our health care choices, our health care options. The government's gotten into our bedroom, in our dining room, in our kitchen, in our bathroom. It is everywhere when it comes to health care. Everywhere. And now they want to control prescription drugs. Now, the problem in a situation like this, like all situations, is the promises. When Republicans and even conservatives start to sound like liberals, we're going to bring the prices down. We're going to make everything generic. And then when they don't, you're left with fewer life-saving, life-improving options. And then it's too late. You've got to have trust, ladies and gentlemen, in liberty. You've got to have trust in market capitalism. It's brought us a long way. It's brought us the greatest, the greatest lifestyle of any human beings ever. And it will continue to do so if it isn't gobbled up by our government piece by piece. They want to control our energy. They want to control the water. They want to control the air. They want to control your automobile, your home, your business. They want to control your doctors and your nurses and your hospitals. They want to control now your prescriptions. These are the same people who will not secure the border. These are many of the same people who talk about a 70 to 90% marginal tax rate. You might say, well, Trump will get to make all these decisions. First of all, no, he won't. And secondly, he won't be around forever. And thirdly, you need to make these decisions. Visit protectmypartb.org, protectmypartb.org, because the rubber's hitting the road now, and it's embarrassing to see some of these so-called conservative groups throw in with the Bernie Sanders-type price control types. It really is grotesque to see that. All right. I mean, it's, it's, it's a rough road fighting for liberty every day, really. We're in the minority. We're in the minority. It's just that simple. Mike, Cliffside Park, New Jersey, the great WABC. Go. Hey, uh, Mr. Levin, this is Mike. How are you? I understand that. Good. Go right ahead, my friend. So um, in 2016, my wife was eight months pregnant. So they diagnosed uh, my, my daughter with aqueductal stenosis. So they sent us to Columbia Presbyterian Hospital. They sat us down with four doctors. They told us that she might be born mentally handicapped or physically handicapped, blind, whatever the fuck. They gave us worst case scenario. 
they thought that they couldn't do abortions there, but they could send us somewhere that we could abort her at eight months. Of course, we refused. We didn't want to go through with it. Um, she was born. She needed a shunt, you know, surgically placed in her b- brain. But other than that, she had no handicap whatsoever. Smart girl, funny, everything that you could dream of. So you have a little girl who's, what, three or four years old? She's three years old right now, yeah. Who's three years old, a beautiful little girl, the apple of daddy's eye, because you refused to go along with them. And God bless you, sir. And you're rewarded with a beautiful little daughter. I tell you. These are the stories the American people need to hear. Wonderful. I couldn't be happier. We'll be right back. With a daily fake news dump pouring through your TV, mobile phones and computers, you may have missed some real news like the recent study in the journal Cell Metabolism. Scientists suspected a correlation between growing rates of obesity and processed foods, but what this study discovered was that these foods also appear to lead people to overeat. Here's the bottom line. You need fresh fruits and vegetables in your diet, which is why I recommend that you start taking Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. It helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. This is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, that's BrickHouseLevin.com, and you'll get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. You know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, I want you to listen to Bernie Sanders. He was on CNN last night. And if our country uh, was operating properly, proper educational system, assimilation, working in immigration, actually a free press rather than a lapdog press for the left, we'd certainly have a healthy uh, environment, wouldn't we? We'd have a healthy nation. But we have the opposite going on right now. We live our lives. We do the best we can for our families. We do apply certain principles to what we do, good versus evil, faith, respecting our parents and so forth. We do that, but we're pushed not to do that constantly by those who control the culture and the instrumentalities of government. And uh, Bernie Sanders is a Marxist fascist in my view. You never hear him condemn the perpetrators of genocide. He'll spend more time attacking Reagan, attacking Trump, attacking capitalism, attacking a corporation than he will 
individuals like Maduro who are responsible now for slaughtering people, torturing people, kidnapping people, starving a nation, destroying a nation. Because Maduro embraces his ideology. That's the truth. And so he's on CNN last night. Maduro the dictator. What's he have to say about that? Cut 11, go. Why have you, Senator, why have you stopped short of calling Maduro of Venezuela a dictator? Well, he, I, I think it's, it's fair to say that the last election was undemocratic. Uh, but there are still democratic... Now stop. Now he will call Trump a racist, a dictator, a fascist. He'll do all those things. All those things. But Maduro, suddenly his tongue is tied. Suddenly he's a marble mouth. Go ahead. It's in that country. The point is, what I am calling for right now is uh, internationally supervised free elections. And now, I was that the question? What kind of elections should there be in Venezuela? Was that the question? Go ahead. Thing that Trump is very concerned about what goes on in Venezuela. But what about the last election that took place in Saudi Arabia? Okay, now this is typical of the fascistic Marxist left. Now it's about Trump and Saudi Arabia. Can't answer the question about one of his own. Maduro is one of Sanders from an ideological point of view. About what took place in Saudi Arabia, what about Trump? What does that have to do with anything? Trump is trying to get rid of Maduro in order to help the people of Venezuela. Sanders isn't doing any any such thing. He's trying to bring that ideology into our homes, into our businesses. Go ahead. Oh, there wasn't any election in Saudi Arabia. Oh, women are treated as third-class citizens. Okay, well, we can't control that, can we? We can try to control whatever we can control. And you point to Saudi Arabia because Saudi Arabia is not communist. You defend Venezuela for the most part and you deflect because it is. Go ahead. So I find it interesting that Trump is kind of selective as to where he is concerned about. The question was asked of you, you clown. It was asked of you. Trump can defend himself and speak for himself. Go ahead. My record is to be concerned about democracy all over. We didn't ask you if you're concerned about democracy all over. Why will you call Maduro a dictator? And by the way, you're not concerned about democracy at all unless you win the elections. Otherwise, you seek to impose your will on the rest of us. Government-run health care. What's that have to do with democracy? Government subsidizing schools, college, for every. What does that have to do with democracy? Nothing. Go ahead. So we've got to do everything we can. But at the end of the day, it's going to be the people of Venezuela who determine the future of their country, not the United States of America. When you live in a police state, it's very, very hard to be able to express your views. It's like saying the people of Red China gets to get to pick their government. No, they don't. And neither do the people in Venezuela right now. These are centralized, iron-fisted, genocidal regimes. What do you mean the people will get to pick what they want? And yet when you're in our country, we don't even get to pick what we want. We vote for president, we want the border secured, and the Democrats say no. 
We vote for president. We want the government reduced in size. The Democrats say no. We have immigration laws that were voted on by prior Congresses, signed by prior presidents who were elected. The Democrats say, no, no, we have a, a sanctuary cities and sanctuary states. So don't hand me your democracy crap with your fascistic and Marxist ideology. He wasn't done. Cut 12. Go. Uh, can you make a simple persuasive case as to why socialism is preferable to capitalism? Democratic socialism, right? Oh, see, yeah. see, see. We got to hyphenate it. And unfortunately, the Democrat in the audience went along with, you mean Democratic? No, I didn't say Democrat. I said socialist. He'll never answer the question. That's why the coward will not allow me to confront him. <coughs> Excuse me. Go ahead. Okay. Let's, let me uh, tell you what I mean by that so we're clear. Right now, we have a nation which prides itself on a lot of political rights. In other words, under the Constitution, thank God, you have freedom of speech. Media can do its thing, even though Trump calls you an enemy of the people. Okay, what, uh, what does Trump have to do with this? You were asked about socialism. You've changed it to democratic socialism, and you're taking off on Trump again. What is with your Stalinist technique? Go ahead. So we have political right, freedom of religion, and all of that is enormously important. But you know what we don't have? We don't have guarantees regarding economic rights. We don't have guarantees regarding economic rights. You can never have a guarantee when it comes to economic rights. First of all, we're not talking about economic rights. We're talking about individual liberty and property rights. Individual liberty and property rights. Let's see where he goes with this. Go ahead. And way back in 1944... And a little known, a little publicized... Ah, our second Bill of Rights. I know where he's going. I wrote about this at length. You may remember in Ameritopia, ladies and gentlemen. Go ahead. In speech, Franklin Delano Roosevelt said something. And I'm paraphrasing him. But he said, you know, when we talk about human freedom and rights, we've got to understand that everybody needs a decent paying job, that people need health care, that people need education. And you know, with the second Bill of Rights, that's what they called it. That's what he called it that uh, he talked about during that State of the Union. You know where that comes from? And I, again, I pointed out in Ameritope, it comes from the, the Soviet's Constitution. You read the Soviet Union's Constitution, it sounds very much like Bernie Sanders, and it sounds very much like FDR in 1944. Everyone has a right to a good job. Everyone has a right to an education. Everybody has a right to health care. Everybody has a right to all these things. What does that mean? What does that mean? That means you have to surrender your unalienable rights to the government in exchange for a promise that the government simply cannot keep. It's impracticable. It's impossible. Go ahead. And all over the world, these ideas are taking place. You go to countries in Scandinavia, of course, healthcare is a right. Higher education is free. They have strong uh, preschool. Former president of one of these Scandinavian countries said, you know, Bernie Sanders doesn't really describe us very well because he pours his ideology into our countries. A lot of the things he says we have, we don't have. 
and a lot of the things he says we do, we don't do. Why does he point to Scandinavia? Why doesn't he point to Red China? Why doesn't he point to Cuba, which is right off our shores? Why doesn't he point to Venezuela? Why doesn't he point to all these regimes that aggressively pursued his ideology and have brutalized and impoverished their people? Instead, he keeps saying, look, way over there. And as I keep saying, he doesn't even point to our solid blue states. What these one-party governments are doing to their people in these states, like California, destroying their property rights, destroying businesses, destroying the border, forcing people to leave. And they are leaving. Why are Americans leaving California, Bernie? American citizens. Why are American citizens leaving New York, Bernie? Why are American citizens leaving Illinois, Bernie? Why are American citizens leaving these dark blue states if they're the closest thing of paradise we can have in this country, run by Democrats? Why are people voting with their feet, their mobility, leaving these states for red states, Bernie? Is it just billionaires? Hell of a lot of billionaires out there. No, it's retired cops and firefighters and teachers. It's construction workers, electricians, and plumbers looking for jobs. It's small business people looking for opportunity, can't stand the weight of government. It's pizzerias, uh, people who own restaurants that are sick and tired of what goes on in New York City and Chicago and San Francisco and San Diego. They've said enough already. Minimum wage and this kind of person can come in and this kind of person gets to do this and this goes on and this. Enough already. Go ahead. Grams. They make sure that their elderly folks can retire in dignity. These are not radical ideas. So and Demo- so if you listen to him, there's no poverty. There's no waiting lists. Um, there's school for everybody. And you can go down the list. That country exists nowhere, including in Scandinavia. Nowhere. It doesn't exist, except in between his ears. Go ahead. What socialism means to me is having in a civilized society the understanding that we can make sure that all of our people live in security and in dignity. Nobody can make sure that all of our people live in security and dignity. There's not a place on the face of the earth where that occurs. We can do a better job than any other society, than any other governmental or economic model. There's nothing like ours. We're more people than any other society live in security and dignity. No thanks to democratic socialism. No thanks to any government department or agency. Go ahead. Healthcare is a human right. All people should have healthcare. Healthcare cannot be a human right. Otherwise, in our own country, we're violating human rights. You cannot see any doctor you want whenever you want. You cannot get whatever prescription you want whenever you want. I don't care what kind of plan you have or if you have cash in your pocket. You cannot go to any hospital whenever you want, any way you want. It's an impossibility. It can't work that way. And yet they paint this picture like children, like like immature individuals who haven't advanced in terms of their thinking and experience and real-world activities that go on. It's a right. Well, if it's a right, 
Why do they abuse people at the vet, uh, the VA? If it's a right, what exactly is a right? Go ahead. You can't get ahead in this country, in this world, unless you have a decent education. That's not true either. One third of the people in this country go to college. Two thirds do not. We manage. And in terms of a decent education, what do we mean by an education now? You mean indoctrination? You see, they want more and more people to go to college because they control tenure, they control the, the faculty, they control the, the uh, curricula. That's what's going on. These are become indoctrination mills. They don't have free speech or academic freedom. Ask a conservative who dares to reveal him, his or herself and is a professor. Ask somebody who wants to speak at a college campus who doesn't share the same views as a majority of these students who have been indoctrinated. And you can go on and on and on. These are little Stalinist uh, uh, schools in so many respects. Go ahead. We have got to, as a right, end the kinds of discrimination, the racism, and the sexism, and the homophobia. We have very little systemic racism, sexism, homophobism in this country. And you know how I know, Mr. Producer? Because people are not leaving this country because of sexism, racism, or homophobia. Because this country is enormously tolerant, and the American people are enormously tolerant. And I'm sick and tired of carnival barkers and snake salesmen of the hardcore left like this, constantly trashing the country and pretending that they can create utopia. They will destroy everything that's good about this country. This is an old man with old ideas who's done nothing to create jobs, nothing to create wealth, nothing to improve anybody's life, nothing. He's hot air. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. We have uh, Gary Sinise coming on in a few minutes, folks. Look forward to that. Dennis Palos Verdes, California, XM Satellite. Quickly, my friend, go ahead. Yeah, Palos Verdes, California, the terrible blue state. Quickly, we have a couple minutes. Yes. Hey, uh, my, my wife's from, from Denmark. She grew up in the social system in Scandinavia. And let me tell you, the people there have paid heavy taxes over the years, and they let a lot of immigration come in. And as it stands today, they realize they made a mistake because the people that paid the taxes are getting little in retirement. And all the immigrants that came in from the Muslim countries and some of the uh, other uh, um, yeah. uh, countries came in are getting all the benefits. Well, thank you, Dennis. Tino, I appreciate it. Moving quickly. There's another Los Angeles K- KRLA. Quickly, my friend. Uh, good, good evening. I, I wanted to give you in this. I was born in Denmark, and my mother lived there until until she passed uh, a few months ago, around the, the same time as, as your dad. And, and I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry, sir. Um, she had a very well-paying job out there, and she paid 72% income tax for the majority of her life. 72%. All right, 72%. go ahead. Plus, you have 25% sales tax and 300% import tax of all goods coming from outside the country. The Harley-Davidson, for instance, is five times as much in Denmark as it would be here. She was in the hospital 
And I yeah. was out there. This is Scandinavia, and you see where we're supposed to have all this wonderful welfare. I had a bed next to hers for two weeks because I wasn't sure she would get fed. Most of the time, the nurses, the hospital, the doctors are so overwhelmed. You have enormous waiting lists. People can't get the treatment they need when they need it. Yes, they get care, but it's not good care. When she passed away holding my hand, five minutes after, they came and told me that they approved the MRI to identify the stroke she had six days before. Hey, Tino, uh, I I would like to have uh, my producer take your phone number and call you tomorrow. Are you available? I, I, I am. Do not hang up, because we need people who come from these countries to tell us what takes place in these countries. Otherwise, we're going to hear these lies forever. Thank you for your call. 72% tax rate. The health care is awful. Waiting is awful. I'll be right back. This is the home of the July 4th Americans. And you can call at 877-381-3811. You know, I've gotten to know Gary Sinise. First of all, he's a very nice guy. He's a regular guy. No pretense for Gary Sinise. And he's a great patriot. He cares very, very much about the 9-11 first responders and survivors. He cares very much about United States military personnel. He cares very much about our law enforcement folks. And uh, you've become, I would say, kind of, Gary Sinise, a, a Bob Hope. You're your own man, but you've, you've become synonymous with these kinds of, of events and patriotism and so forth on July 4th. And I can't thank you enough. How are you doing? Oh, thank you, Mark. Thanks so much. I'm, I'm doing great. <laughs> you got a brand new book out, Grateful American, A Journey from Self to Service. Tell us about it. Yeah, I actually just got back from uh, a couple of weeks on the road uh, promoting the book, which I've never done before. You've done some of that, obviously, with all the writing you've done. But this is my first book. And, uh, you know, over the years, uh, having been to the war zones and having been to the Korea several times, having been to the mountains of Afghanistan, to the military hospitals all around the world, and having met extraordinary people serving our country and sacrificing for our country um i've just accumulated a lot of uh, a lot of information a lot of stories a lot of documentation a lot of photographs a lot of memories uh that have been very positive uh even in the face of kind of meeting the challenges uh, of our veteran and, and first responder communities and i thought you know, it, was, it would probably be a good time to sort of document some of that, kind of lay it all out on paper. And when I started to do that, I realized the bigger the bigger story was how I got to all this service work that I'm spending all my time on. And that's why I, title, I subtitled the book, A Journey from Self to Service, because as I started to look back at the singular focus on my acting career for so many years and building a theater company and the struggles that I had as a high school kid uh, trying to figure things out and uh, uh, very, very serious troubles, almost almost kicked out of school, very difficult things uh, academically throughout my life. Um, I found these steps toward 
the service life were were kind of interesting, and then and the stories are. There's some fun in the stories. There's some mischief there. There's some very moving things that have happened to me all, all, all throughout my life. And it's all accumulated into this full-time, full-on uh, mission to, to serve our veteran community and uh, the men and, and women who protect our cities. And it's been a, a great blessing to have had some success in my career that I could do some good with it over the years. The book is Grateful American, A Journey from Self to Service. You can go on any of my social sites. We link to Amazon there. When did this start, this from self to service? Can you can you kind of pinpoint it to a particular event or time? There's, there's multiple events. Um, you, you know, I tell some pretty funny stories about how I stumbled into the acting world, which changed the course of my life completely, and... I ended up uh, going off and making a living at this uh, performing thing, and and that was by accident, kind of. As I said, I was a troubled teenager and really, really having a difficult time. This is back in the late '60s and early '70s. There's some bad behavior and some mischief going on there with 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 me, and, and one of the things that I did to kind of get through all that was play music i had i had bands from the time i was in like sixth grade all the way up into my early 20s and i was standing in this hallway when i was a sophomore in high school just hanging out i mean i was probably cutting class and you know, i should have been in class but i was hanging out in the hallway with uh, some of my scraggy looking band members and this teacher walked down the hall and she turned and she did a double take and she turned around and she looked at us and she told me to come and audition for West Side Story <laughs> because I looked like a gang member. <laughs> she said, "She said you guys look perfect for this play I'm directing. It's about two gangs." And uh, and then she blew off down the hall, and I I uh, sort of laughed, but I showed up at the audition after school, and I saw all the pretty girls walking in there, and so I followed them in. They gave me a script. I didn't know what to do. I had no idea what an audition was or anything. They told me, you read this part, and you read these, these lines. And, the, you know, it was a couple of lines. And uh, I stumbled around, and it, I was getting laughs because I was so silly with it. And she put me in the play. And you know what? I mean, all of a sudden, I discovered this whole new thing that changed the course of my life completely. How old were you again? I was about sixteen. Okay, and, and and it and it really did. I just fell in love with it, and all I wanted to do from that point on was was be in plays. And I auditioned for everything. I took all the theater classes. I just fell in love with it. And when I graduated from high school at the age of eighteen, I started a theater company with my pals. That is now. 45 years old, and wow. you know we own four buildings, and we built. Uh, we built one of them from the ground up, and I mean, it's, it really is an American dream sort of success story when you look back at the history of Steppenwolf Theater. Now, how did you, or when did you, or what caused you to get involved in being so pro-military and law enforcement? You know, I have a lot of veterans in my family, Mark, um, so it kind of starts with there. My, my grandfather 
served in uh, World War One. He drove an ambulance during the battle, battle of the Argonne. You're a historian, you know. Oh, yeah. you know, that's that's one of the worst brutal battles this this country has ever faced. Over twenty six thousand were killed and many more wounded. And he was driving an ambulance back and forth from the front line. Uh, he had three sons. Uh, Two served in World War II, my two, two uncles. One was a navigator on a B-17 bomber. The other uh, served on a ship in the Pacific when he was 18 years old during the invasions of Iwo Jima and Okinawa. And then my dad served in the Navy in the early 50s. So right there you have you know a, a lot of veterans in my family. Uh, and then, then I met my wife, and she introduced me to her Vietnam veteran brothers and her sister who served in the army who married a vietnam veteran who stayed in the army for 22 years they had a son who was in the army and served in afghanistan wow what a family uh, it's just and, and these are these are the, the close relatives then there's all these distant cousins and everything was served so lots of military in my family that it starts there with me and then i got involved with supporting various Vietnam veterans groups back in the 80s and then and then along come the 90s and I had the opportunity to audition to play wounded Vietnam veteran in Forrest Gump and I did that and was lucky to get that part and it it really uh introduced me to our wounded because he was a wounded soldier and I was invited to come to the National Convention of the Disabled American Veterans Organization in fact, I, I tell a story at the beginning of the book about the moment that I walked out on stage at the DAV convention 25 years ago and the impression and impact it made on me when I stood on that stage and looked out and and, and there were 2,500 wounded veterans in the ballroom, you know, cheering for me because I played lieutenant dan in forrest gump and they wanted to honor me because they they felt it was an honest portrayal and they wanted to give me an award for it and that set a tone for what happened after september 11th and the deployments to afghanistan and iraq of our troops and and i just could not not do anything so i just started raising my hand and going out for the uso and volunteering for multiple military charities trying to raise money for them so that they could help more people and eventually it all manifested itself into the creation of my own foundation the Gary Sinise Foundation so it's a it's a pretty interesting journey from the self moment of the singular focus on my acting to the broader focus of service to others and and how, how that is you know given my life just just uh, you know great purpose and meaning beyond trying to obviously be a good dad and a good grandpa and a good <laughs> good husband and all those things that are priorities of course but you know this this service life has really added a whole new dimension and uh, it's been a great healer in some in some difficult times and your wife she's obviously at least behind the scenes involved in this too i would say well, she's been very supportive. As I said, her brother served in Vietnam, her sister's husband, her sister served in the Army. So she's very, very supportive of veterans. When I started doing this after September 11th, I went full on. I mean, you can go to the Gary Sinise Foundation website. What is that website? 
It's GaryShaniseFoundation.org, and there's a there's a founder page, and it kind of tracks the history of my travels and where I've been and where I've gone, and it's 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 very extensive, and I've been all over the world, and when you when you look at it, you say, well, <laughs> there were so many times where I just wasn't home, and I I wouldn't have been able to do that without the support of my family. They they really felt that I was. I was making a difference, and 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 that it was a good thing for me to be out there trying to support our active duty folks and our veterans. Well, you really are a remarkable gentleman, and you are gentlemen, and you've touched the hearts of many, many people. And uh, it really has been my pleasure to get to know you a little bit. And I hope uh, everybody listening, I hope you'll go out and get a copy of this magnificent book, Grateful American, A Journey from Self to Service. You can get it on Amazon, any major bookstore. But you can start at my social media. I know many of you are there right now. Uh, we have it uh, linked to Amazon.com. And uh, I want to strongly encourage you to get a copy of this wonderful book about a wonderful gentleman. And I want to thank you for coming on, Gary. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Mark. I appreciate it. All right. God bless, my friend. He's the real deal. He is so kind in private as well as public. Do you wish that double chin would just disappear? Are those bags and puffiness getting a little worse every day? Just listen to Robin S. from Lubbock, Texas. I put that jawline cream on my neck like two or three days ago, she wrote. That is the best my neck has looked in 20 years. Several people told me my face looks young. I am blown away. Now, with Genesel's natural actives and a pure antioxidant base with no parabens, no chemical scents, no pharmaceutical preservatives, it's the clean luxury your skin deserves every day. Click or call right now, and the Genesel jawline treatment is yours absolutely free just for ordering the classic Genesel plant stem cell therapy for bags and puffiness. Call 800-SKIN-604 or go to Genesel.com. That's 800-SKIN-604. With Chamonix's 100% money-back guarantee, you only have the bags, wrinkles, and double chin to lose. Call now while three-day shipping is still free. 800-SKIN-604 or Genesel.com. 800-SKIN-604 or Genesel.com. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Five things business owners can count on from LegalZoom. This LegalZoom really has muscled up, folks. Number one, reliability. Over two million people have used LegalZoom to start their businesses. LLCs, S-Corps, nonprofits, DBAs, and more. You can use LegalZoom to get started the right way. Number two, experience. They've been helping all types of business owners for over 17 years. You can count on LegalZoom to help with all the details. Number three, helpful support. They have the right people standing by, ready for your questions, all based in the United States. It's a big deal. Here's another big deal. Number four, legal advice. Now, LegalZoom isn't a law firm, but they have a network of independent lawyers licensed in all 50 states. They can review contracts, help with employment laws, advise you on many of the hurdles that pop up when you're running a business. And they're not going to charge you an hourly fee either. 
That's the genius of LegalZoom. And finally, number five, no surprises. LegalZoom provides complete transparency with upfront pricing, customer reviews, and a satisfaction guarantee. Check out LegalZoom today to see how they can make life better for you and your business. And don't forget to enter Levin at checkout to save even more. So this is what you do. Go to LegalZoom.com, enter Levin at checkout. That's L-E-V-I-N. LegalZoom.com, enter Levin, L-E-V-I-N, at checkout, and you'll save even more. LegalZoom, where life meets legal. LegalZoom.com, Levin is the code word. I'm telling you, they have tremendous services now. They have better services than even when they started with us many, many years ago. All right, let us take a call if we can. Uh, Tom, San Jose, California, the great KSFO. Go right ahead. Hey, Mark, I hope it's uh, not too bad reception here. I'm actually in a grocery store. If it is, I don't mind going. Just move over to the uh, fruits. Uh, they're, they're usually <laughs> quiet over there, the fruits. I'm actually there. The vegetables. They're very quiet, too. Uh, I'm, I'm going over to the wine. Anyway, I, I heard Well, that's a quiet earlier. area. Yeah. Yes, it is. I heard you talking earlier about this, uh, the right to uh, the right to have a good-paying job, and I told your call screener, I said, "This is the what I, what I was hearing is it's going along the lines of the, like the right to drive. People actually think that they have the right to drive. It's not a right; is it is a privilege that you not only earn, but you either study for or you take a test for, and you pass and you get in. It's kind of like a job. I mean." If you want a good-paying job... You're way too rational. You see, all he has to do is go, you have a right to a job, and the clapping seals, yay! You have a right to free health care, yay! Well, then get off your ass and go get it. Exactly. And if you want to get a better-paying job, then get the education needed, get the, the, the experience, the, the knowledge, the wisdom, whatever it takes. I, it's just, it does. I'm, I'm sure everybody's just driving them crazy listening to this stuff, but... It, it is you, so pathetically outrageous. Without you speaking up, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm starting to get high blood pressure in my older age. Uh, you know, trained law enforcement, the whole thing. Oh, really? And i got to tell you, listening to you, it, it does help. I mean, believe it or not, it does help. And I know there's a lot of people out there that agree with me, knowing that there are some cool heads prevailing and, and, and you're out there and you've got a voice. It, we have to get through to these people. We have to start with education of the young. I mean, Hitler did it, and look what he got. What he, what oh, jeez. Yes, you okay. got to start educating the young. And see, but see, we're not doing it for, well, I don't feel we're doing it for a bad reason. The, the, the young need to know what you're Yeah, we are not. We Look, the leftists, the NEA, the AFT, particularly the NEA, uh, given its, uh, its, its reach, have taken over our classrooms. They've taken over our school boards for the most part. And so the left is there. Uh, you don't have classes on private property rights and capitalism and unalienable rights. Instead, you have this Michigas. Uh, and that's part of the problem. Then our universities, our so-called schools of higher education, maybe you'll learn in between the the propaganda and so forth. But, uh, you know, there's just a lot of propaganda, hardcore left-wing propaganda going on. Once these teachers or professors get tenure, you, you can't move them out of the classroom. And... More and more, we're subsidizing it. The tuition's going up because they are subsidized. Can you imagine the cost of a college education if everybody has a right to free college, sir? Well, you know how I look at I, it? I, I've got to go. I apologize. Call me tomorrow. I apologize if you can get through it. And thank you for your service. 
We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel, and all federal, state, and local law enforcement. And we could have gone on for hours and hours on this program, as usual. And, folks, I hope to see you tomorrow right here. God bless. Have a good evening.